0: Ashes and light, rolls of thunder. I'm not afraid. i Stay-
1: I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We're getting ready to turn this studio into a house of worship. And my prayer is that this will be a great service and that all of us can be blessed and will turn to be blessings. Welcome to this ministry. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from Jeremiah chapter 32. Would you hear the Word? The Word came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of King Zedekiah of Judah which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. Zedekiah had said, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, I am going to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. King Zedekiah of Judah shall not escape out of the hands of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I attend to him, says the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalim, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard, in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel, and weighed out the money to him seventeen shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase, containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Nir, son of Mania, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the wilderness, who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans, who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence, I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, in order that they may last for a long time. But thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for a moment of prayer? Oh God, we thank you so much for this day and this opportunity of being together. My prayer is that you will touch me and touch someone else through me. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else than your will. Hear these words and this prayer and make it a blessing in your name. Amen. In an English church in Lancaster Shire, there's a memorial tablet with this inscription. Listen to this inscription. In the year 1653, when all sacred things throughout the nation were either demolished or profaned, Sir Robert Shirley, barring it, founded this church, whose singular praise it is to have done the best things in the worst times and hoped them in the most calamitous. A quick reading of English history will point out the turbulence of the times. The king had just been killed in a civil war. The country was torn by strife. The atmosphere was filled with hatred, and there was not much hope for the nation. It was at that time that Sir Robert Shirley decided to do something constructive. He built a church. He did the best things in the worst times. Another man who did the best things in the worst times was the prophet Jeremiah. In our text, Jeremiah was in prison in the court there in Jerusalem. You see, he had prophesied that Jerusalem and the nation of Judah would both be destroyed by the armies of Babylon. He had also predicted that King Zedekiah of Judah would be taken off and imprisoned in Babylon. And so here he was in jail there in the palace. Consequently, he was really in trouble. Now, as at these worst times that Jeremiah's cousin came and offered to sell him a piece of property at Anathoth. To say the least, buying land in this sort of time, in this sort of turbulent time, seemed rather ludicrous, to say the least. The enemy was about to defeat the country, and the people were going to be taken off in captivity. Yet in spite of all this, we're told that Jeremiah bought the land. He bought the field. Through his faith, he connected the purchase of the field with God's redemption of Israel. So he connected the two through his faith. Thus he purchased the field as a sign of hope, as a sign of hope in God and God's faithfulness to his people, Israel. So Jeremiah did the best things in the worst times because he understood the nature of hope and he understood the faithfulness of God. What I'd like for us to think about is how can we do the best things in the worst times? That's the question here before us. How can we do the best things in the worst times? First of all, we do the best things in the worst times when we realize that hope is not based on some vague notion, look on the bright side. In Jeremiah's time, there was no bright side. As a matter of fact, everything was distressful and bad. Jeremiah's hope was not a hope that the disaster would be averted. His hope was a hope that the hope would remain even in spite of the disaster and all during the the disaster. But Jeremiah's hope is different from the hope of many Americans. Many Americans are simply filled with hopelessness. They are possessed by a demon of hopelessness. Whatever happened to hope anyway? For one thing, we have become shallow in our hopes. The late J. Wallace Hamilton has given us some idea when he said this, more and more, we have been turning away from the deep spiritual meanings of great words and squeezing the moral content out of them until all of that has gotten lost in the process. So hope, like freedom, has become a secular, superficial sort of thing. Many people just look at hope as look on the bright side. In South Pacific, Mary Martin sang a song. She said, I'm stuck like a with a thing called hope. While that is some good sentiment, it's not what the Bible means by hope. And then for many... Hope has become seasonal. As long as things are going well, we have hope. But the first time things get to going not so well, then our hope becomes fickle and we often lose it. I read about a fellow who was about to take his own life. He was distressed. He was about to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge. And a policeman saw him and stopped him. The man said, just let me jump. There's no reason for me to live. The policeman said, I'll make a deal with you. I'll listen to you tell me why life is not worth living for five minutes. And then you listen to me tell you why life is worth living for five minutes. And so they both agreed. The man spoke, the policeman spoke. And then we're told that both of them grabbed hands and jumped off the bridge. They both jumped off the bridge. Any kind of hope that we can manufacture ourselves, we can also destroy ourselves. And then thirdly... We've been putting a lot of trust in false hopes. I'm talking about things like science and education and technology. Hear me now. These things in their own essential places are essential to everything. I believe in them like you do. But as saviors of civilization, the end result of these things is going to be hopelessness. It's going to be hopelessness. Take progress, for instance. Many people seem to believe that progress in one realm means progress in all realms. What a deception. They believe that if we have made progress in the material realm, that means we've made progress in all realms. If that were the case, we would be the most enlightened, the most humane, the most peaceful, loving people in the world's history. But we all know that in the last century, one of the most civilized countries in the world executed six million Jews there in Nazi concentration camps. We've seen the atrocities one nation afflicts upon another We've seen nation after nation abuse each other. So we know something about the conditions of this world. Mr. Griffith, who was a pastor in Canada, said that way back at the beginning of dawn, he created, God created this man. This man killed his brother. God came to him to hold him accountable, and he simply said, Am I my brother's keeper? And Griffith says, We haven't apparently gotten too far beyond that and apparently we haven't we're still asking the question am I my brother's keeper and then we have lived too close to the edge of our beliefs some of us what is the first thing to go when the going gets rough usually surface beliefs surface beliefs will not stand in a battle of courage and faith surface beliefs always go It is very dangerous and ludicrous to try to build our lives on surface beliefs in this world. The Christian faith urges us to build our lives on deep convictions and deep beliefs centered around God and Jesus Christ and the reign of God and the Holy Spirit and the church and the possibility of forgiveness and the purposes of humankind. We need to build our lives around these things. John Wesley's greatest fear for the people called Methodists was that they would be the form of religion and not have the power of religion. He said, if we are going to maintain the power of religion, then we've got to maintain our doctrines and our discipline and the things we believe to start with. There's a story about an ambassador who was having trouble sleeping one night, and he was restless. He was moving here and there in the bed. He just couldn't get still and quiet. His associate, he was across the room said to him, Mr. Ambassador, can I ask you a question? Sure, what is it? He said, do you believe God governed the world before you and I were born? Yes. Do you believe God will govern the world after you and I are gone? Yes. Well, why can't you trust that God will govern the world while you and I are here? We're told that the ambassador turned over and went to sleep, and went to sleep. And then secondly, we do the best things in the worst times, when we realize that hope is based on the loving faithfulness of God. Hope is based on the loving faithfulness of God. There was an organist in a large church one night in a city who was practicing for the hymns that were going to be sung the next Sunday. Sometimes when he was changing the music, things got silent. He heard a big banging on the door from outside. It was coming from the portico right outside the church. It was one of the street people who was using that church as a bed out on the portico who said, hold it down, can't you see we're trying to sleep out here? When the organist told that to the pastor, the pastor said, that is the biggest case of the tail wagging the dog that I have ever heard. Another big case of the tail wagging the dog is when we try to put something else in the place of God as the source of our hope. Authentic hope is based on one thing, and that is the loving faithfulness of God. This is the lesson of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a man of God. He was God-directed. He never did anything without getting in touch with God. In other words, he bought that piece of property because he had faith in the unswerving faithfulness of God in the future. He knew that God had said that one day buying and selling of houses and land would occur again. So he went and bought that, knowing that was the case. Beloved, one thing consistently goes throughout this word. It consistently talks about the abiding faithfulness of God and the nature of hope. The psalmist said, Why are they cast down, O my Lord? And why are thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, hope in God. The writer of 1 Peter says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great hope we are born anew to, the, to a new hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then there was the writer of Hebrews in the midst of war and bloodshed and revolution. When everything looked like it was solid, it was going away, he stood up and said, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What a magnificent truth. That is, there's a well-known story about Martin Luther. It seemed that Martin Luther, this man who stood before kings and popes with unflinching courage, became depressed and distressed and got down in the dumps and couldn't get out of the dumps. One morning while he was sitting at the breakfast table, his wife came down. She was dressed in mourning clothes. She had on black clothes. She tiptoed around the house. She closed the windows and shut the door and locked them. All the time, Luther was looking at her in some kind of bewilderment, And he said, is somebody dead? Yes, his wife said, don't you know, Martin, God, God is dead. At that point, the rugged individual realized what was going on and he snapped out of it. He knew that you could not continue to mourn if you believed in the loving faithfulness of God in a person's life. The great preacher John Redhead told about this little girl who was so excited about the fact that her father was taking her to see Snow White. Someone said, well, won't you be afraid when the wicked witch comes on the stage? And on the screen, and she said, no, at that point, I won't look at the witch. I'll just look at my father. And then there was a lady whose husband died. She came to church the next Sunday. The preacher said he was surprised to see her. He said he met her at the steps, and he hugged her and said, I'm surprised that you're here today. And she said, why are you surprised? Where else would I go? I've never needed the church more than I need it right now. Now let me tell you something, beloved. If you have short-term hopes, there are many remedies for short-term hopes. But if you want to have a long-term hope, you'd better have a relationship with God that will enable you to know something about the faithfulness of God in life and in history and in the world today. So we do the best things in the worst times when we realize the loving faithfulness of God. And then, thirdly, We do the best things in the worst times when we realize the power of hope. When we realize the power of hope. Jeremiah's hope influenced his action. Because he believed in the faithfulness of God, he bought the land. There's a story about an 87-year-old man that was run over out on the streets, and he was killed. The doctors did an autopsy on the man's body. And they told his widow, your husband must be a remarkable man. He must have been a remarkable man. We found things in his body that should have killed him 20 years ago. The widow said he was a remarkable man. I don't know much about it. He was a remarkable man. But he'd always say before he went to bed at night, I'm going to do better tomorrow. And when the going got tough, he'd always say, I have hope. And then out of the Second World War comes the story of these doctors who were in a prison camp. And they survived the slave traffic in the prison camp. How they did it was they had a secret medical society. They would meet in the evenings when no one suspected them of meeting. And they would talk about the cases, and they would talk about science and these kind of things, knowing that one day everything would be better because they did this. And the man who was telling the story said they were literally saved by hope. They were saved by hope. There is a power in hope. Paul's hope was in the fact that he knew that the situation of the world was not just the situation of the world. He lived in there, but he also lived in Christ. And he knew that Christ was stronger than any situation in every situation of the world. So he lived in Christ. as power and hope to lift us and to make us sensitive and to use us. And then there's one other thing that I want us to consider before we conclude here today. We do the best things in the worst times when we realize that we are part of that hope we are a part of that hope. Jeremiah not only saw the result of humankind's sin, but he saw the power of God's grace. So consequently, he was not only a prophet of, of consolation, he was a great prophet of hope. Beloved, the task of the church, the Christian church, as is the task of every Christian individual, is to be a sign of hope in a world that's skeptical and weary and worn out. In other words, when we... Receive that hope and internalize it. We pass it on with joy and confidence to other people. I read about a couple that was living on an army base. The woman was very dissatisfied with the spiritual life of the base. They had a Sunday school class they taught. that only had a few children. Only 15 people came to worship. Sometimes the chaplain didn't even show up because there were not enough chaplains. She wrote to a minister and said, Remember, you are a sign of hope. Hold on unflinchingly to your hope whenever we involve ourselves in some kind of small group of care and concern, of inviting and praying and helping, we'll be hopeful and we'll be able to pass on that hope to others. In Shapecott's novel, Bellevue, there's a little boy. He's the star. There's a little boy and he asked his mother, his grandmother, when she died, what are you going to leave me? And his grandmother responded, soul heir of my hope. O Jeremiah, as people of the twentieth century, twenty first century world, what are you going to leave us? For God's sake, for the world's sake, make us heirs of your hope. Heirs of your hope. Let us pray. Lord, we're so grateful that you call us to be people of hope, that we can be people of hope because we believe and trust in you. We can be people of hope because we know you called us to share the good news with others. So, Lord, no matter what's going on in our lives, help us to be hopeful because we know you, and we know you better than we did before. Hear our prayers. We pray them in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, and I pray that you'll continue to be with us, share this program with your friends, and we ask that God would bless you all. Good night.
2: Should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ. Has My sin, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole.